0: You know, we still have a lot of work to do to make it even more scalable so that we can bring, like, more members of the team into it. Um, Because there is a danger of, like, if anybody can wander into your bakery and just start twisting knobs on all your different recipes, right? Uh, And if customers can buy those cookies without somebody stepping in and being
1: like, let me taste test this first. Let me make sure this (laughs)
0: cookie's good, right? scotch, Hey everybody, welcome to episode 368 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the Games Programmer.
1: I'm Adam and I'm a sentient AI. I'm
2: Sam and I'm a regular person.
0: And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is June 15th?
2: twenty two. yes.
0: Could, could be. It's some. It's June. It's June right now. Yep. We can for sure say that.
1: Yeah, with like uh, 90 percent confidence.
0: Pretty pretty confident. Uh, also, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. There's gonna be. There's definitely gonna be profanity in this show, oh, yeah. and then some other stuff too. So, uh, if you're not into that, then you you don't have to. You know, you don't you don't have to be here. Yeah. It's okay. Maybe an anti capitalist
1: screed or two. You know, it's just gotta be. Yeah, it's okay. Gotta it's gotta you, don't
2: you don't have to be. You if you're not into you screeds. Yeah, we're real yeah. big on screeds. Also yeah. that I haven't used so that
0: word in a long time, mm-hmm. and now I, I haven't heard it in a long time. Feels like that's, that's that band, right? That band from the nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. Screed. Yeah, yeah. Also, it, it is, hot. is hot. That's it. That, yep. Fuck. <laughs>
2: Outside.
0: Yeah, we are we are broasting. Yeah, uh, which ah. is like we're uh, we're roasting, but we're also brothers. So we're broasting right now. Yep. Uh, it is hot as fuck over here in St. Louis. It's like a hundred ish degrees yeah, before for you that in the humidity and then it's like 100 you know 10 or whatever yeah and I know some people give sass about that heat index thing you know whether where you you say like oh yeah well it's like 95 degrees but like with with humidity and stuff the heat index is like 114 mm-hmm. and some people you know are very dismissive of that of the heat index. But I think that's the real shit. That is the real shit. You know. Yeah. That's, that's how hard that's, it is to evaporate. You know what I mean? That's
2: like yeah. how painful. You can't is cool it? off. Yeah. It's like wind chill. Yeah. Who doesn't believe yeah. in wind chill? Put them on a put them in the plains in Iowa, you know what I mean? At the same yeah, temperature. I'll believe, believe
0: real quick. Real quick. What we really need and st- like because I treat it the same if it's hundred and ten degrees or ten degrees. Yeah. Right. It's like, I'm not going out there. So, yeah. what really I want from the weather people is just a bell curve that just shows, you know, should you go out there? And it's kind of peaks around 70. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it's like, it's got like a standard deviation of about like 25 degrees. Mm-hmm. Right. So like twenty five degrees above or below seventy, don't, probably don't go out yep. there anymore. Probably don't go out there anymore. Yeah, I think my like two deviation standard deviations
1: is like don't really don't. It's like five degrees, I think.
0: Five degrees. Seventy <laughs> perfect. Seventy five. I don't think so. I'm not <laughs> <Probably> <laughs> What's the heat index? Seventy seven. No. No. I'm staying inside. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. uh Thanks a lot. Thanks for letting us grab your money. Now let's talk about let's talk about for Frauder. Let's talk about Fronter, Sam. So, what do you got? Tell me about this Frauder thing.
2: So, some of you may have heard of this game. It's six years old. It's called Fraunner. Uh Now, mm-hmm. it just came out in Game Pass, and I had never played it before, and I'd always wanted to play it. Uh, it's actually yep. called Four Honor. Turns out that's the title. Uh, uh, that's one ago. of
0: the first things that you find out when you start playing. Yeah, it, yeah. is that. It's actually called
2: For Honor. Well, yeah. I thought because I got it through Game Pass, it was, I just got it. You know what I mean? It was so easy to get. I just sort of read it really
1: fast, and I was like, For Honor. Um, yeah, For Honor, Game Pass, let's go, whatever. Yep. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Um,
0: Aren't there two or three of these now?
1: I don't know. There's Maybe. at least two.
0: No, this is the fourth one, right? For, this one? right. for Honor. For Honor. For Honor, yeah. So mm. they
2: the, the thing that's interesting about it is apparently, again, it's been out for six years. Uh, so uh-huh. I, missed, yeah, I missed the boat a little bit, but now it's Game Pass, so I'm- Everybody who also missed the boat, we're all on the boat together all of a sudden. Yeah, there's a
0: new new, There's a new boat. A new so boat. It's all good. <laughs> uh,
2: and I wanted to talk about just from a, you know, we talk about the nailing it or whiffing it index here at Biscotch. Yeah. It has nothing to do with how much you like a thing. It's just given what was clearly the intent of a thing someone made, did they nail it or not nail it? You know, mm-hmm. keep your keep your stupid opinions about the value of nailing it or whiffing it aside. Yeah. So Did they nail it? They nailed it. So what it is, what he, what it, is it's actually <laughs> a medieval, I would call it a medieval uh, dueling and siege game. And it's mm. one of the few games that like, you try to hit a complex scenario and make it modeled in such a way that you can, of course, play through it with a controller. But that it actually feels kind of like what you would guess that experience feels like, of like, you know, being a person, being a knight or, like, a samurai or something, and, like, sieging another castle or just, like, you know dueling people and stuff. And the combination of how they handled the combat system, where it's, like, all this, like, blocking and parrying stuff, but you use, you basically are like, you're watching your opponent's sword position, and then you change your sword position to match, and if they match and they try to hit you, you sort of ting it off, and it's all sort of, like, crazy. It's just, like, a different combat system than the usual button-mashing stuff, right? And, uh... Yeah. Very fun. Very, very fun. So if you have a, if you like a like more technical kind of dueling I guess it's a little more technical as far as you know you're not just mashing buttons like I said you got to be much more fucking with it you know um it's a very good time and for me after after the challenge of Elden Ring and getting good at that, this has been a nice sort of other thing to go attach myself to that has a stupid level of uh, intricacy as far as those controls on go. On a
1: scale from, in terms of like control input complexity, on a scale from Diablo to coop, where would you mm-hmm. say...
0: Where Diablo is the high end, Diablo is the, the low easy end. end. The just, low end? Just
2: click, click. it's a clicker. We've been, we've established this years ago, and I think everybody's yeah, finally clicker. realizing I'm Diablo
0: Immortal. So, yeah, yeah uh, so it's an it's an idle game. Yeah, it's an right. idle clicker.
1: So on so, the other end, you've got co-op where you have to articulate take hardest game every every body part yeah. to
0: to run a race. So I if co is a ten, Elden Ring is like a seven, right? Pro, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Okay,
2: <laughs> yeah. I would say from a control standpoint, it's relatively straightforward they they do have a uh, little like kind of combos for each hero you play so you would have to kind of you know look at but they have a big sheet you just like look at it pull up the like street fighter to. it's like street fighter ask but there's not that yeah. many of them there's like six to ten of them per uh i would just say that the the combat system is unique enough that i mean they throw you into a tutorial series to start the whole thing it's really well done so you definitely have to learn it it's not a thing you have seen ever but once it's there, it's actually a, they didn't do anything dumb as far as like where they should have put buttons and stuff like that. So, uh, probably because it's complicated enough that they really had to fucking think about it to make sure yeah. it worked. <laughs> so, I would so say, if you're like into
0: five, like five, so if seven, you're into medieval street fighter castle sieging,
2: yeah, they nailed it. And you could play with buddies, uh, it's 44 online matches, and yeah, running up and like th- throwing down with someone else and dueling someone else.
1: In the middle of a Castle Sea, just pretty fucking cool. I gotta say, so they nailed it. I think I was thinking of. Can you dishonored or dis, dishonored dishonored whatever? Yes, dishonored. I think it's. And that's why I thought dish yeah. dishonored. Yeah. which I thought is what we were talking about so I was confused because I was like, I don't, like I, that was kind of medieval like it's got a vibe of that but I it thought was, that was like yeah. putting demons in people and stuff which is pretty it was definitely, so. yeah it
2: was definitely more on the putting demons in people side than this Yeah, one. So, so if you like that up, more I'd...
0: like a yeah, dishonair. That's
1: your yeah, that's your choice. dishonair. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And de- demons are definitely more of a of a, like a medieval thing because like once you once people had guns, then demons weren't that yeah, big of nobody. a deal and they went extinct. Yeah. Yeah. they're they're kind of like those large birds that mm-hmm. people killed and ate, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or just any large Moa. animal. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like the. Yeah. It turns out the demons' true
2: weakness was being shot. You know, shot with guns. With guns. Yeah. Uh, so. If
0: you have to, if you have to stab one, that's a, big, a bigger challenge. Kind of like if you had a, yep. if you have a stick and there's a moose around, you're in trouble. Yep. You know, same concept. Demons kind of died out in the medieval times. Yep. Uh yeah. Think about so. think about meese though,
1: which is the plural of moose. Is it mm-hmm. almost doesn't matter what you have around in terms of that's true defending
0: yourself. If you have a mooser. yeah, if you yeah. have a car, you're you're, you're still, still done. <laughs> <laughs> Still dead. Yeah. Yeah. You ever see videos of moose just walking down, down like the median and they're just like th- they're the size of like three cars stacked on top it's of you? Too <laughs> big. One of the few mega It's huge. Yeah. Amazing. You love to see it. Amazing. Right, nice. Let's talk about the murder, the murder bot diaries. So, yeah. this is a book series. Now before before we talk about about it, I want to share my opening experience with it. Hit it. so it was recommended to me on Kindle a, a while like six months ago or something, and uh, I was looking for some sci-fi stuff, and I I was like, well, it seems kind of like kind of edgy because it's called the murder bot diary. And, uh, so I started reading it and the opening scene is like an action scene, you know, from like a movie Mm -hmm. where like, there's like wild shit happening and like an alien worm coming out of the ground. And like, there's this murder bot thing. Yeah. This, and, uh, so so I got a couple pages in and I was like, no, Mm no, this seems, this seems kind of like brainless, uh, and, and so I just stopped reading it like mm. at that point. Uh, and if I had gone like one more page, then all of a sudden like everything changes and it, and it becomes this very like wholesome, you know, mm-hmm. like very subverting of every expectation you had kind of a series. And man, I wish I had like, I wish I had just given it a chance at that time oh. because it's so good. <laughs> yep. It's so good.
2: Yeah. I, I had found it from a, I think uh, Jen had recommended it, and mm-hmm. or both producer and narrative designer, and uh, a while ago. So I heard about it sort of in the brain pan, probably saw it on the Kindle thing too, but it was in Mills and Books. And then
1: similarly, traveling, picked it up, and I read all of it six books. It's six, I think it's five novellas and one novel or something like that. So it's yeah. quick quick reads. Probably like Can we start
0: calling or... novellas booklings? Booklings? It's a bunch of booklings. Because of, it's, it's not a box of booklings. Yeah booklet is like just a a couple of pages. Like a bookling is like, it's like a baby book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's six booklings. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot,
2: but not a lot. And you don't ever want it to end once it starts. So my recommendation, if you're going to read it, be careful. Because I think if you make it through the first, apparently like, I don't know, 10 pages, the one that Seth did not turn the page on. Uh, you're gonna be there for a while. Luckily, they're on the Kindle Unlimited thing, so like five of them are free, and then there's just one book in the middle that's
0: cost money, I think, or something like that. That's how they get you. You know, the whole thing's a—it's a trap. It's a bait and <laughs> switch.
2: Yeah, I kind of feel like I got them though, if with just sort yeah, of oh ratio. yeah, easily
0: seems a little yeah. off being honest. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of free really great storytelling.
1: Yeah. Uh 10 out of 10. Yeah, I don't so. have Kindle unlimited, so I think I think Jenna just bought all of them and we just have a family library, so i had read them. So like she had bought them and then I just like re- and then I just consumed all of them and then when I, I ran out, so I had to go buy the next ones, you know, because because like mm. I caught up. Um but yeah, I, it's it's one of my favorite certainly series, um but even just like books, you know. It's just so fun, so wholesome, you know and, it, and yeah. there's a thing that it does that is I think pretty rare because I think it's it's hard to pull off and like stay on the line which is that having you know drama and danger and like uncertainty and things unfolds so there's something to be excited about and like worry about a little bit but without you feeling like that worried you know so like you're never like in a yeah. you're never in a state of like anxiety you know because you feel pretty confident like things are gonna largely come out of your workout you know yeah. and It manages to kind of like do that all the way through where Mm. you don't get bored, but also you're not having a, there's no point where you're like, ah, fuck, you know, like, like like a thing that happened that you just really are bummed about now. You know, uh, it does such a good job of that, that it's like, yeah, it's, it's for, for the name of it and for what it is. It's a bizarrely wholesome reading experience.
0: Yeah. And, and my impression of it as well was that in a lot of cases, you'll be watching a show, reading a story and, and there's a lot of manufactured conflict and drama where it doesn't really feel like it makes sense. And the characters are kind of like being unreasonably non-communicative or unreasonably belligerent in ways that defy their normal mode of operating just to make some like new plot point happen, you know? Uh, that's the thing that bothers me the most about any like any storytelling. As soon as people just start doing stuff so that something can happen mm-hmm, next, mm-hmm. I'm out. But I, I never I never got that yep. in this book. So right. or in this book series, good books, uh, the Murderbot Diaries. Yeah. Good. Highly recommend. What's the author? Martha uh, uh, Wells, maybe. Oh yeah, Martha that G. G Wells. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds. But the right. Uh, you sh- yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, we just want to get into some questions today because we didn't get into any yeah. last week. So uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest up question comes from Fraser, who says, On an implementation level, what does the Game Changer pipeline look like? Does it generate or modify source code files for the game? Mm. Or is the game just a massive interpreter for the spec generated but the game changer. Okay. So I'll I'm gonna leave, try to I'll think. leave that to you nerds yeah. to explain. Try to think of how to how to explain this in a in a way that is give me a metaphor. Interesting. Yeah, interesting and that non-programmers will be like, oh, that's cool, right? Yeah. The quick answer um, before Seth gets into the details is the latter
1: yeah, in terms yeah. of how the question was set up.
0: Yeah. So up until now, the way that we've always made our games was that they were basically just a big pile of code. So if we wanted to have something interesting in the game, like in level head, we have maybe like a spike ball, right? Then everything about that spike ball, I would program in the code. Mm -hmm. So if we ever wanted to make a change to the spike ball, then you would have to know where in the code to find that, like all those pieces of information about it. And you would have to know how and what to change to make that change to that spike ball. Okay. Okay. And then beyond that, if I wanted to uh, make that change available to everybody else, then I have to compile the game into a new version, like a new whole patch, and send that out, right? So, um, every, in other words, like all of the pieces of information that describe what's supposed to happen in the game and, and how the game works is just woven into the code, Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the, the sort of revelation we had with the Game Changer was, was the idea that if we could separate that out, if we could separate out the description of what things are and what they're supposed to do into its own place, right, mm-hmm. and the code of the game just reads that information – and then turns it into gameplay, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we would be able to make changes to the game without... So somebody could make changes to the game without ever opening code because the description of what the game is and how it works is somewhere else. So... uh, Can I try a metaphor here? I'm going to try one.
2: Yeah. Try one.
0: Let's say
2: that you... uh, This is a baking metaphor. We're going to go to the cake land for this. It was as if before the only person in the whole uh, bakery who could actually bake anything was Seth. Mm-hmm. But the way he baked stuff was basically sort of, instead of having you know all the different vats of whatever your flour, whatever else, nicely separated, and then having all the various implements and tools for dealing with combinations of them, is if he spent a very long time engineering like a peach cobbler machine that like you just sort of, all it does is make exactly this
1: kind of peach cobbler, okay? It harvests its own wheat. It grows its own peach <laughs> Just the
2: whole so, thing. So, if, so yes. if
0: Sam says, hey, can we get this uh, thing to also make like a strawberry pie too? And then you are like, fuck, now I have to yeah. have it plant strawberries and figure out how to harvest the strawberries. And, yep. Yeah. Know, so yeah. Sam couldn't come in there and just like- Turn a knob and like flip a dial from peaches over to strawberries or yep. whatever, and I couldn't even come um, in and be like, "Uh, I just need a little bit of sweetness,
2: just like a little more sweetness in this. Can I put some more sugar in here?" So it says, "Be like, I'm. I have yeah. to do this now. This is on me." Yeah,
0: you know? there's no sweetness knob. The the sweetness is something that comes from you know how six other machines are interacting and trying to automatically figure out how much sugar goes into this cobbler. Yeah. You know, so then now it's as if uh, you know, it works like regular baking where you
2: have a, a <laughs> recipe and then a variety of tools and things to then sort of, you know, you read the recipe, you're like, oh, let's try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever. And you can measure things out. You can set those all those dials. Uh, and then you basically, you know, mix them together. And, and basically, you're, you're just following a recipe that's been established and you can feel free to tweak here and
1: there as you go. Yeah, I guess. And then the game knows about kinds of recipes. Right. So as in like the machines that now make the stuff. So like, so now what now what you're doing, you're not doing the baking, right? You're mm-hmm. writing the recipes and you're feeding
0: the recipe into a machine that does the baking for you. And yeah, so it's kind of like the game now knows like, what's a cup, what's a teaspoon, what's it, eggs, what's flour. what's right? sugar. It knows it. Yeah. It knows what all those things are. And, and then it, it knows also about knows... kinds
1: of things like, like what's a cookie. And now you can, and now within some bounds, it understands the idea of a cookie. And so it can make maybe a hundred different kinds of cookies that you would you would describe all of them as cookies when they come out the other side. And so now the people who are trying to come up with new cookies don't have to bake the cookies. They don't have to go make the machine. They basically just try a new recipe and yeah. feed it into the, the machine. The place where this becomes magical territory is where
2: uh, you take the recipe your magic recipe scroll. And while eating the cookie that you're making, you're like, oh, mm, this should be a little sweeter. You change the recipe and then you take another bite and it's fucking sweeter. Or you're like, oh, this <laughs> should have some strawberries in it. And you're like, oh, and you take a bite. There's some straws in it. You know, that's mm-hmm. more, that's basically what's happening. Mm-hmm.
0: How's that? It, yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to describe uh in realistic terms because it seems unrealistic. Like, it's magical. It's true. Um magical. Because the Game Changer is a piece of software that is in the game, Mm -hmm. right? Because, because, uh, like we said, the game is an interpreter for the big old pile of information, just like a big blob of data that the Game Changer produces. And so all you have to do is like, so the Game Changer is an interface that exists in the game. You can go in there, like Sam was saying. You're eating your cookie, and in this case, you could actually be eating a cookie in the game, right? And you're like, oh, I don't like, I don't like how yeah. this works. I don't like what this is doing, or maybe you look at a, uh, you look at a, a creature in the world, and you're like, now well, that should be moving faster, right? Uh, you just pop over to the game changer, which is just it's just one menu away. You open up the creatures section, find that creature, take its little movement speed slider, and just turn it up a little bit. When you go back in the game and boom, it's moving faster now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I've been personally surprised a bunch of times because now, you know, Sam is able to go add stuff to the game and change things uh, without my involvement at all. Just Mm -hmm. period. And there have been so many times, yeah, there have been so many times where I have booted up the game and suddenly (laughs) there's like a weird new item that I like find or just like maybe I hit like a developer thing. It's like, oh, like give me all the weapons in the game, right? And suddenly I have this like weird weapon that I've never seen before and I have no idea what it does. And Sam has like made it do stuff, set up its interactions with the world, given it an animation, like all of this stuff. Um, And I didn't even know about it. (laughs) So that's, you know, we still have a lot of work to do to make it even more scalable so that we can bring like more members of the team into it. Um, because there is a danger of like, if anybody can wander into your bakery and just start twisting knobs on your, all your different recipes, yeah. right? Uh, then and if customers can buy might- those cookies without somebody stepping in and being like, let me taste test this first. Let me make sure <laughs> this cookie's good, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, so it, it is possible to make it so easy to change things that you lose visibility on stuff. Yeah. Um And so that's that's something to be careful of, or or to make it so fast and loose that that lots of people can change things that maybe they shouldn't be changing without talking to other people first. Well that was the motivation. Uh, So that's kind of the next challenge
1: for having it be so tightly controlled on the data validation side. Um, and that's where that's where this differs from something like, say, the web, because the web is also the same idea, where like you make a web page, which is HTML, right, and then the, the browser interprets it interprets and then it draws it for you, right? Yeah. And and then just like what we're doing, then you can also introduce code through JavaScript to now do magic things and manipulate stuff and do whatever, right? But this layer that we're dealing with is is like it's kind of that same idea, this data layer, but you have to predefine very strict constraints. So that the range of allowed shapes of the data and like what the value types can be and that kind of stuff is extremely specific and is designed with implementation, basically with interpretation in mind. So that you already know how you're going to convert this information and like what the range of information that's allowed is and like how you're going to enable a wide array of of variants of something to be made. Um, So that now as somebody does... and with control, though, so that now, now when Sam's off making stuff, the kinds of things he can do that make for a weird experience on their side are really restricted to, to mostly design things. As in, like, yeah. if he does just something that just is weird, right, then just, like, a weird design idea, right, that's the kind of stuff that can slip through. But if he tweaks a variable in such a way, like, he can't tweak a variable in such a way that the game just breaks. Right? I would say it, allow- it allows
2: theory. us to... Yeah, so it allows us to do something like everybody gets kind of the input output of sugar, right? And that's a pretty obvious, like, yeah, you have to think a lot about how that works. But if I said, I want these cookies to be fluffier, I want a fluffiness index, um, then what Seth to do is go back to how, the, how basically how this machine works, how the cookie changer works, and add a fluffiness index dial that itself, there's a bunch of other stuff going on under the hood. Where he's talked to some bakery chemists, whatever else, to figure out how how does this actually work? Yeah, how do we make them more fluffy? Time, What's how the much limit? Baking
1: soda's in there, whatever. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yep. How does this cascade? Whatever. Uh, and then the output though is just there's now a dial for fluffiness. So I'd be like, oh, I want some more fluffiness. But we have to the large work then is to figure out what something like fluffiness means and how it cascades, and then. Create good bookends of minimum maximum values, make it so that no matter how intensely I turn it up or down, that I don't make either like a dumb cookie that no one wants. He doesn't eat, make it.
1: Yeah, you or, don't make
0: a cookie that's just sugar,
1: right? Yeah, or, or just baking soda, or
0: whatever. Or, or, yeah, or right. Yeah, and this is cool because that also means once you figure out, for example, how to represent fluffiness mm-hmm. of a of a cookie, um, and how to make your machine understand what fluffiness is, right? Then you've covered both ends of the problem, right? One is is describing it so that people can turn the knob, and the other is interpreting what different positions on that knob mean, right? Mm-hmm. Once you've got both ends of that, you can now start applying your fluffiness formula to other things, right? Because then Sam, mm-hmm. Sam can be like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I really like having this fluffiness dial on cookies, but yeah, I want a fluffier cake now, right? Yeah. And I could just go, yeah, no problem. I'll just take the formula I made over here and just put it on the cake maker, right? Mm-hmm. And on it, the cake interpreter. Yeah, maybe tweak it a bit. So yeah, it might it might require a little bit of fiddling or maybe I could just plug, plug it right in, yeah. but I can just take that same dial and just put it over on the, on the cake thing, right? And so uh, this really interesting thing is starting to happen as we've been Really, using the game changer to add and edit stuff in the game is that uh, new ideas that we have about stuff we want to see in the game. They now go through a, a different process, which yeah. is Sam will will first look at all the different knobs and dials and structures that exist and be like, "Can I like here's this vision I have for this new thing that's supposed to be in the game? Do I have the knobs?" And dials necessary to make that happen. Right. And sometimes he just does. And other times there's something missing. It's sort of like, like if you, there's if a you check said like, missing. Right? Yeah, we've never made crepes with this tool before, but we've made cookies, we've made cakes, we've made pies.
2: Can I yeah. make a crepe with the dials we got?
0: And the answer could yeah. be and so we so we no. might yeah we might go like well like I've got a flatness yep. slider for for like for it, cakes and I, and like what's and like, in there you know with the cake yeah fancy. let's try turning that way down and see if that is crepe like enough mm. does it meet the crepe vision, vision? And, you know is yeah that what it is? and if we go oh actually no mm-hmm. this is still just a cake that's kind of dumb and flat now. <laughs> but we may need we may need a whole new kind of thing called a crepe um, and so. Or, or we or we may just we may find a couple of extra dials that we can add to you know the the cake formula uh, that allow you to create a crepe, but also those dials are now exposed to other types of cake too, and so now you can start to mix and match all these components and sliders and just create completely new things that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to conceive yeah. of. So you're essentially like, um, oh shit, because we figured out how to make crepes,
2: I can now make scones, which is not a real thing in the real world, but it definitely is in the game changer side of things, right? You add capability yeah. over here and you get that capability over there
0: also. Yeah, and this has also been kind of breaking my brain because um, the the way that, that I used to have to work in the game is if we wanted to have a lot of content, so like in the original Crashlands, I think we had like 990 something unique, uniquely defined items in the game at launch. So an item would be like, a creature, a tree, a pebble, you know, like, like any, yeah, just anything that kind of is represented in the game world. Um, but those things had to be very concretely defined in terms of categories. And a lot of what they did in the game world and what they were capable of doing was had to be kind of inferred based on their category. So we have like a thing that's like called a Component and components do a very specific thing and they're represented a very specific way in the world. And if at any point Sam said, Hey, I want a thing that, you know, does all the things a component does, but this one aspect of it differently, right? Then that's a big problem because there is no knob, there is no dial. And the reason that it's working the way it is is because there's a bunch of code that's kind of like piecing all these other things together to try to make it work. Um, And so it becomes very difficult to make exceptional things, as in, like, things that break the rules, right? Uh, But with the Game Changer, since everything is just made up of all these, like, mixed and matched knobs and sliders and stuff, um, I've been just systematically removing my code that is trying, that, like, only existed to infer how things were supposed to behave. Because all those things are now just checkboxes and sliders and stuff, and I can just be like, what is that slider? And just read it and just do it, right? Um, So the code has actually gotten much smaller and cleaner over time. uh, And our designs have gotten way weirder. Yeah, I would say.
2: They're more specific Uh, in the way that we always... Because the general rule of thumb, unfortunately, if you're making a video game, is that uh, you need sort of like a novelty. You need to have more or less some level of constant novelty happening. And you can do that in a couple of different ways, but a lot of it is done through, you know, unique content. Like what's what's novel? It's just something that's unique, right? So the first time you see one enemy, well, you know, second time you're like, oh, okay. And then after that, you're like, who gives a shit? I know everything really about this, whatever. Um, yeah. So the problem is that you basically need to set up, you need to set up a general soup out of which you can create a lot of very unique little moments for people. Deviations from the norm. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. provides a lot of that just kind of constant engagement, and especially a lot of that sudden rearranging of how you see a game world uh, after something is revealed to you or whatever else. Um, and we couldn't do that at scale before in any sort of way. You can, you, you can do it for short games, for sure, but uh, it's very expensive. Novelty is extremely expensive, uh, unless you have a tool like this.
0: Yeah, I think it, like an easy way to think about it is if you had like rocks in your game and and a mining pick in like the typical survival survival game style right then you just think of like okay there's like different levels of rock and then there's different levels of mining pick right and the mining pick just does more damage and the rocks just have more hp a rock is a rock a pick is a pick nothing to see here right Um, but once you can control all these different aspects of a thing then you can have unique and interesting properties on every rock and every pick, and you no longer have to think about them just as a a linear progression of power. It's not just like you just change their level and suddenly, uh, you know, and that's the one thing that's different. Now you can have a rock that like explodes unless you like get it wet first, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, whatever it is. Um, Like we were just talking today about like, what if when you broke this one rock, it like exploded into debris of uh, like boulders Mm -hmm. that you had to make sure you didn't get hit by (laughs) it's like easy you could totally do that right um and that's a unique thing about that rock that no other rock has and that creates a really cool and interesting gameplay experience other than just like it's a level two rock Mm -hmm. right yeah
2: how is how is this rock fun in its own little contained way even if it is a level two rock right uh Because basically the next point you get to with this is then what this allows you to do is really make a design that is kind of all over the place. Uh, And so then you have to actually, yeah, you'd be more keen (laughs) on what the design, what's the point? Where are you trying to go with this? Like, what is the design for? Uh, And make sure that everything you put in is doing that job, right? But that's a much more enjoyable position to be in than to be like, I would like for this rock to explode and for someone to be like, no, it can never explode because otherwise there is rocks no
0: are game. rocks. <laughs> they sit there and take damage from picks. That's what a rock does. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, yeah, you don't have to accept anything, but yeah, it's it's you can do anything, but should you do anything? Yeah. That now now all the big challenges are just design challenges, which is where we wanted them to be in the first place. So mm-hmm. that's good. Uh, next question comes from Mimibip Gorky, who says, "How much direction do you give your freelancers for creating music and sound effects?" Are you spending a lot of time testing out music and sound effects found online to find out what you like first? Or do you let them have free reign to do what they think is best? Mm. P- pretty much the latter uh, for a lot of things when I it comes it, to like... Yeah, it, it, I think it, it basically depends.
2: The problem is you have a, there's a scope question here that's hidden, I think, which is like depending on the scope of the project, right? So. Well,
1: and also I would the kind say, of thing, because you take think like the theme song, like the opening theme song for the game versus yeah. like... Monster number 10s, like I'm big struck yeah. noises, right? So typically what I'll try
2: to do just as far as like providing useful direction is, uh, is either basically a written description of what the thing is, the mood associated with it, uh, or at best, yeah, some of these references and stuff like that, um, where it's like, oh, it'd be awesome if it, you know, felt like this kind of a laser blast that I saw in this scene from this movie. Here's a clip on YouTube. whatever. right? Um, so you can get Very specific, or you could be like, I don't know, a country vibe, and then that's what they got to work with. But you do want to always give them something, uh, unless you're in that sort of, you know, the first formative stage where you also don't know, but you probably should know a little bit. So they they shouldn't be like, because free reign is not good for working with, as a creative person either, you actually need a constraint to find, you know. Some direction. So
0: yeah, and, and there's a lot of kind of uh, you know, like good enough principle at play as well, where like we don't want to have to go back and forth with them 20 times to like adjust the sound of like a leaf rustling, cause who cares? <laughs> you know, there's so there's a lot of things like Sam was saying, it's all about leverage and about the kind of like experiential uh sort of weight of the thing where if it's meant to be a big salient emotional point, or if it's something that happens a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like one of the, so one of the things to that we wanted to make sure to iterate on quite a bit, this round was stuff like the sound of a footstep yep. as the player walks around, because you hear, you know, you're going to hear that footstep sound like a billion times. Um, and if it, if there are points where it just doesn't really match with like the kind of thing that you're walking on or whatever, then, uh, that kind of, that can break the immersion. And if, and if a person picks up on that, uh, then they'll just keep hearing it every time their foot hits the ground as like this weird kind of like out of place thing. Um, so those things, you know, we'll kind of go back and and forth and give some, some extra feedback rounds on. But one of the things I like about, um, how Fat Bard does their does their sound work though? That's our contractor, Fat Bard. Mm-hmm. Uh, is they do a lot of self directed stuff as well, where they will you know play the game and then they will come to us and say, "Hey, uh, here's a bunch of stuff that we noticed, or that we that we either, like, we want to update the sounds for, or here's some missing sounds, right?" Um, here's our ideas for those things. Let yeah. us know what you think, right? And then we can go through that. And then so so they do a lot of that, like kind of a push system where they they can go through and figure out what it, what they think the game needs and tell us, and we can give feedback on that. Yeah, too, that's actually which the best kind of great. model to have with a
1: contractor is the one where you're hiring somebody for their expertise, right? And so you're saying like, I don't know, I don't I don't have time because I'm doing other things, and I also am not a deep expert, right? And hopefully somebody knows enough to be able to give feedback right but then it's yeah it's this combo of of being able to provide some kind of very loose direction but still have that something that the person can work with and yeah. using feedback as the mechanism to get to then get to a final point that everybody's happy with uh, yeah but then having that self-directed part where again because they're the expert right and they're they're the ones who pay because like I don't when I'm playing a game I'm immersed in the soundscape but I'm not noticing all the details of the sound that's creating that immersion right right and there's stuff that yep. like if it wasn't there, I would be less immersed, but not even know why. You I know, mean, there's like a lot of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't notice that I wasn't hearing footsteps, right? But I also won't notice when I am hearing footsteps if it makes sense. But when yeah, I'm not noticing feel the fact that they're actually there, I'm still feeling it, right? It's still putting me into the, yeah. the immersion, and so that's what a person who's like really good in you know the sound example. Is going to do is they're going to say like oh yeah here's the stuff that you haven't paid attention to
0: right so let's let's just do that also yeah how do you build an immersive soundscape that you know lives in the background yeah there there was something kind of in this line of like things that you don't notice because if they're done well but then mm-hmm. once they once something gets off about them you can't unsee it mm-hmm. uh is you guys remember that game Wild Star I played it but fourteen yeah. so I. Something always just felt, like, really weird in that game where, like, I felt kind of, um, like, uneasy and disconnected from, like, my place in the world physically. Like, Mm. it was sometimes hard for me to be able to understand where my character was and where other things were and, like, how far away they were. Mm. And I finally figured it out after quite a while was that if you zoomed your camera out past a certain point, then nothing had shadows. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. The shadows just, did, they are gone. So there was no, not even like a little like blurry circle under the thing. And so suddenly I just couldn't quite tell where something was standing yep. on the ground. Yeah. Uh And man, that was weird. Like, yep. and you don't realize, you know, just how big of an impact, just like a blurry kind of the dark invisible. circle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you don't notice it and whatever. But then as soon as it's gone, there's just like this feeling but something is wrong mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. on the uh, art
2: side you see this with uh, with animation you Refer to it as as uh, animation that you feel but you don't see which is mm-hmm. these anticipation frames sometimes overshoot frames or else that are so short that like again you're not you as a regular person experiencing the piece of media don't see the frame but you you are feeling its effect and you could tell that you could basically if you were to stack up you know a variety of those kinds of things on one animation that's the same versus one that has them stripped off, uh, you would be able to tell that something was wrong, but you probably wouldn't even be able to see a difference. Because well, be be like, I mean, you know animate why.
1: at like 20 FPS, right? Isn't that like the classic yeah. animation? 24. So yeah, so, yeah. so every frame, every distinct portion of the animation is a 20th of a second or roughly, right? Yeah, And those in-between frames, those, those like smears and stuff, right, where it's like the starting to the ending position – it's literally one frame. It's literally one twentieth of a second, right? Mm-hmm. And the absence of that, of just one twentieth of a second, of a, an experience that your that your eyeballs had, right, can be the entire difference between something feeling good and mm-hmm. feeling either visibly just bad, like you can tell, or or just unsettling, like you're not exactly yeah. sure. But but this also goes the other way too, right? Where somebody who's really, who really knows their stuff along whatever domain. Also, knows what to not really worry about, right? And yes. so you'll see this sometimes. And like, so we're, I was playing Back for Blood a few weeks ago with some friends, and it's all of a sudden they started looking at the walls and being like, these walls have like a lot lower texture, right? Like a lower resolution texture than like mm-hmm. everything else, right? And I hadn't noticed. And then I went and looked, and I went and like, you know, steered my character over and like looked at the wall really close, and I was like, oh yeah, it is like a lot lower resolution, right? but i hadn't noticed mm-hmm. because it didn't matter right because yeah, like, hey, they after like
0: after like 60 hours of yeah. playing or something yeah. it's and like so, yeah, still never noticed right. and so
1: they're trying to they're trying to preserve resources by not have high textures when they can avoid it so that the game size is smaller there's less memory usage etc cetera, etc cetera, right and I so if it's also this, because they put those score marks on there when you shoot stuff. If there's some Yeah, right. Because they need to save those too. Cause they also they keep those permanently, right? Like they try to or yeah. at least they keep it for a long time. So it seems permanent. I don't know how they would do that at all, but you know. Yeah, because they're because they're basically drawing stuff on, right? And they have to keep so, so there's, there's so much stuff they have to keep track of in like texture space. And so anywhere they can cut down on, like they're gonna do it, right? And so if you have mm-hmm. a big expansive wall that doesn't have anything on it you're supposed to care about they can they can basically get away with throwing in a low-res texture that you just mm-hmm. don't pay it. Because it also makes your eyes slip off of it, right? But well, it's, really it's a dangerous it's- game, though, because if it's in contrast, if there's something in front of it that's really high-resolution, right, then it, that can draw attention, which is actually what had happened, is that there was something that was really high-res, like sitting in front of this like low-res mm-hmm. wall. And so that it broke immersion for a couple people playing, um, but I didn't even notice it until like... I was, you know, told to focus on it. Basically,
0: yeah. Well, and and it's a game that keeps you moving, right? So, yeah. like, rarely are you just going to stop and be like, let me just like look at this wall for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because oftentimes the high res thing in front of the wall is a zombie that's trying to kill yeah. you, and you're not you're not looking past the zombie, being like, wait a minute, when it's, it's <laughs> blurry anyway,
1: right? Because you're moving your you're moving your yep. cursor constantly, so you're already yeah. not seeing those, and so you can get away with you can just get away with a lot. And and this this is the kind of thing that like a really good not just contractor, but just anybody who's an expert at their work is going to be bringing is they could come. That's what Seth said is like the push system versus the pull system, right? Of them coming in and saying, Hey, like, here's what this needs. Yeah. We can, we can, like, if they, if they, if they have other information, like, Oh, we've got some performance issues. And in their domain, they know how they can gain, eke out some extra performance on behalf of other stuff by like knocking this thing down. Right. Then you can get a lot Um mm-hmm
0: really cool stuff out of it yeah so and if you, if that's a role that you're in you know if you're in that contractor role do that because it's appreciated it's oh, yeah. very much appreciated to to just come in and be like all right i know what to do here here's my plan sound good and then the person's like yeah yep yep sure mm-hmm. sounds good i don't know <laughs> uh, all right last question comes from ronan game dev who says, I have this constant urge to just make a better or different version of the game I am currently playing. Mm. Do you guys have this? And if so, how do you fight it and keep working on Crashlands 2? Now, because I always play a lot of 3D games.
2: Yeah, that helps. Yeah,
0: And we make 2D games. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also, with something that already exists, thinking about
1: making that thing is, it's not worth it, because it would be so much work to like remake the thing to like where it is, and then like to then add this, the next thing, you know, that while I'll often think, oh, it would be nice if you know, and then some design right. change, right? But that is literally never followed up with. I want to do that, right? Right. It's actually if if there's any conscious thought at all, it's like I'm glad that I don't have to worry about this, and it's actually fine though because I don't want them to have to do it either because I, I think this is in my game, and I can exactly. tweak yeah.
0: those. Well, I I also think that there are times where I'll get really into a game. And I love to play it, but I can appreciate just how much of a pain in the ass it would be to be on the business end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like uh Rocket League is a super fun game, right? But it's a it's a physicsy fast-paced PvP multiplayer game, right? Mm-hmm. And like the technical side of that alone is problematic. <laughs> but then the community <laughs> management and multiplayer side also I don't want to have nightmare. anything. To do with, yep. um, or like, uh, in Kerbal Space Program, the community co- colloquially refers to the Kraken, which is any time the physics engine bugs out and your spaceship just fucking explodes. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes you'll have a sometimes Kraken. you have a spacecraft that's just like complex enough that the game can't quite figure out how to register all of like mm. the structural connections. And your ship just, or it's just the physics simulations. Yeah, because physics simulations are
1: step based, just like animations. This is, you know, it's the same thing, right? And so, if the step is too wide of a distance, because you got a low frame rate or you know whatever, there's a complex stuff going. So it's usually the more complicated the ship is, the more stuff that has to be calculated. Then the more sort of the more time has to get skipped in between each one to give you a constant frame rate, right? It's always like constant time
2: it was that bridge that like when the wind frequency hit that bridge that it like wobbled hard hard enough. It's sort of the same thing. And you see this with, uh, you occasionally see these very funny bug clips from 3d games where like a body gets stuck somewhere and it like just kind of starts vibrating and then like really starts Mm -hmm. going and then just fucking like shoots into the sky. Yeah. Yeah, It's at a
1: light speed. Yeah. And it's because there was that that conflict right where it, it, because clipping is when, you know, two things overlap that aren't supposed to, right? And that happens when a thing is checking where it's going next to see if there's something mm-hmm. there, right? But it looks a little too far, basically, right? Because it's going to skip some space because of how slow thing, or basically how, how much has to happen in between yep. time steps, right? And so yeah. it doesn't actually realize that it has gone through something and then it goes through the thing. And then suddenly everywhere it looks, it's inside, it, it's... Hitting something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like,
0: I gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's like, it's it's so, like, so, increased resistance. At some point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like a physics panic, right? Where it's then trying to like do something to escape. And this is also why like the resolution of those things is either they just vibrate forever or they vibrate for a while and then suddenly shoot out at like an enormous <laughs> speed. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're very funny though.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Like, in, like, in my mind, like, I will, like, anytime I've spent sufficient time with a game that I really enjoy, yeah, you, you will come across weird stuff. And I always think like, you know, I don't think that I necessarily could do this better Mm -hmm. because I know how intractable some of these problems are. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I want to go like run into my own problems that I've wandered into unknowingly and not like, (laughs) not go face first into a known problem that somebody else who is very smart couldn't solve.
2: You know, I think largely when I play games, as I get into it's more so that it's, I love when they do something that I've, they do, they execute an idea that like everybody has, whether it's about how leveling up works or, you know, whatever, but just with, just with like a little bit of, uh, there's just a different angle on it. It doesn't even have to be completely weird. It's just like, just a little bit of a different angle. Um, and you just sort of store those then in your bag of sort of mental tricks for stuff if you run into it in your own game. So I like using them as just sort of like grab bags of, of tools essentially. Um, and then The thing is, like, most games, you can't actually just take a thing and put it in your game because they're so context-based. Yeah. So that's one of those traps I think people fall into, which is also the idea of, like, every game you play, pulling, like, most things from it, whatever your most recent. It's not like I'm... After playing For Honor, I'm like, ooh, we should have a block blocking-based positional, you know, uh, combat system for your your limb. Um, no, but I like how they did other things that we could pull off, you know, or
1: mm-hmm. take a like, little tip. But you also still might yeah. take some piece of that, right? Some idea of, like, how the combat system works and, like, the idea mm-hmm. of how how they did the timing or how, how complex it is. But, or even just something like how they set up the controls, like, even how complicated of a thing they're trying to do what is like what was the design approach they took towards mapping that onto a, a controller and then trying to use that to, like trying to learn something general right that that's yep. a little specific cuz it's still about that detail but you take the generalizable lesson and try to figure out how you can apply that which
0: is where all the yep. fun is 100% yeah so no oh, uh, yeah i've never I've never thought like i want to just make this game but yeah there's always inspiration that you can find just all over the place so uh well, that's all the time we have for this week, I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.